0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. As always, giving you the breakdown from the latest New York Giants game, and we have yet another loss. A continuing streak of losses for the New York Giants as they fall to the Green Bay Packers, 31-13. Chris and I had some time to take a look at the film, as we always do on Tuesdays, and broke it down, giving you the offensive and defensive positives and negatives. So from this 31-13 loss to the Packers, You could probably assume there were not really many positives. After actually getting to see the tape, we can actually point out and acknowledge a majority of these negatives. And to kick things off going right into the offense, the one positive that we had for the offense was noticing that they were getting the ball out a lot quicker. Earlier on in the game, the offense was moving efficiently. Uh, There weren't too many long dropbacks, and they were able to actually get those passes out a lot sooner preventing some significant pressure from building up and accumulating.
0: It was actually a little bit surprising to go back and look at the stats from the game. The Packers didn't have a sack, but I think that is really more of a more accounting semantics than them not getting to Daniel Jones because they did have seven quarterback hits. zadarius Smith was credited with five of them. Uh, there was one that one play where it looked like Jones and Saquon Barkley were just absolutely not on the same page. It looked like they were executing two different plays. That looked like a sack on the field. It was credited, however, as a quarterback run for a loss of four yards. So I suppose we could just take that as it it is. But all in all, the Giants getting the ball out quickly, that did help. an offensive line that was going up against a tough defensive front
1: it seemed like they had a very clear goal and intent to get the ball out quickly because they knew they had to deal with two of the better pass rushers and arguably one of the best pass rush duos in the nfl in preston and zadarius smith and while one of them was able to tee off for five quarterback hits there weren't any registered sacks that we know of and you know question if that was um A matter of the statistician, we we couldn't really acknowledge or find anything besides the seven quarterback hits that were racked up. And and one thing I noticed earlier in the game before we saw those late two interceptions by Daniel Jones is that they were being quick about getting the ball out. They were able to have quicker passing concepts, whether it was five to seven yards or at the first down marker, trying to get the ball out quickly. Uh, preventing Daniel Jones from overthinking and holding the ball as long as he was doing earlier on in the season. And as I was watching the game, I was thinking to myself that this is actually a positive step forward, that we're seeing Daniel Jones being quick in his decision-making, but towards the end of the game, they took a step backward, they were not doing that as often, and that, I would argue, maybe have led to two of the interceptions that he threw.
0: Yeah, especially the second one in particular kind of stood out to me. Because you saw Jones burp the baby, as Mark Schofield likes to put it. He uh, patted the ball a few times, double, triple clutched, and then just let it rip to no one in particular except for the Packers defensive back who came down with it. sailed it a couple yards over Sterling Shepard's head, who, if the ball had been on time and on target had the first down
1: yeah if he had gotten it to shepherd it could have been a first down and that transitions nicely into our one negative that we had from this game and the Giants offense actually moved pretty well they actually had more yards than the Packers did in this game but some poor plays on third down got getting them off the field early uh, also two field goals on drives that they could have scored on but most importantly the three interceptions were essentially drive killers the last one came when the game was pretty much out of hand for the Giants Maybe they could have put something miraculous together if they, if they were able to march down the field, but did not look like that in that situation. The other two, though, were drive killers. They were momentum killers. And like we said on the Quick Take Show, we're actually going to break these things down and let you know what we what we saw on these particular interceptions. The the first one, though, Chris, and I'm sure you, you probably saw the same exact thing, was just misreading the coverage on a curl route. He threw it when he thought that he had an open lane and an open receiver, but Kevin King, I believe, it was the one who stepped in front of it and was able to pick that ball off.
0: I'm not sure if that was a case of Jones maybe deciding that was where he was going to go with the ball before the snap. He's done that a few times. Or, like he said, just misreading the coverage. Uh, perhaps with the snow, losing the Packers' white uniforms a little bit. The yellow helmets might be a giveaway, but... You know, white on white, maybe he just didn't see... King step in front of the pass that one it looked like he definitely knew where he wanted to go because it was a very confidently thrown interception the second one again that's the one where to me it just looked like indecision ruled the play on that one and then the third one he might have overthrown the ball a little bit trying to fit it into Darius Slayton and make something happen with try to will a come from behind upset victory but that one he he threw a great pass to that defensive back, hit him right in stride. It's just, if the positioning had been reversed, Slate, that could have been a touchdown.
1: Yeah, I think with the the, with the last one that was really tight coverage on Darius Slayton, if Slayton had that extra step, and I, I think that Daniel Jones is so accustomed to seeing Darius Slayton have that extra step and be able to be ahead of defensive backs, but in this one particular instance, Tremont Williams was right on him and because he threw the ball into a tight situation he was a little bit just a maybe a hair ahead of slayton and you can't expect a, a receiver to be able to make that grab especially a rookie receiver who was a late round pick to make that grab who's still learning and developing just like daniel jones is so if you're going to at least make that throw you got to throw it a little bit behind darius slayton and let him co- kind of come back to the ball instead of ahead of him as the 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 corner and defensive back on that play was basically able to pluck it out of Darius Slayton's hands. Though you you talked about the second one, and I I think that was just strictly the ball slipping out of his hand a little bit. He had Sterling Shepard. It was clear that that was who he was going to because there was nobody else in the area. And I think it just kind of sailed on him, came out of his hand a little bit too much, went a little bit high. Darnell Savage was able to come and pluck that thing out of the air, grab that ball. He's a really talented safety like we talked about in the preview show. So if you put that anywhere in the area of him, he's going to make that play 10 times out of 10.
0: Yeah, and he almost made the play one final time when Jones was kind of rolling out, he saw Saquon Barkley wanted to get the ball to him to try to generate some kind of positive yardage and that was another one where I think the ball kind of slipped out of his hand because it was a little bit it was a little bit high, a little bit behind and actually kind of plunked off of Barkley's helmet and just just balanced off Savage's fingertips so I think that was one where the Giants got a little bit lucky also the Savage is a good player you know we can't take anything away from him
1: No, Savage definitely is a really good player and, and we're not trying to micromanage these interceptions by Daniel Jones just trying to provide some more context on what might have happened if they were decision making or uh, lack of patience um, being flustered and it, it just seemed like the elements might have had some impact on it. He also seemed like he was mistimed on some of these throws. When you have a rookie quarterback, you do have to take a look at the tape and, and analyze where these mistakes are coming from and if you can build upon them. I don't I don't think that they're egregious mistakes that can't be corrected. They certainly can be corrected, like we say, every single week. Before he ended up throwing these interceptions leading up to the first one, I would argue that Daniel Jones looked pretty good in below average to very poor conditions that he was dealing with in the snow. Um, but he ends up having a poor stat line because of the three interceptions he threw. Now we're going to transition to defense, giving you a plenty of negatives considering they gave up 31 points. But before we do that, we're going to take a very short commercial break. Defensively, surprisingly, we have one positive from this game and... It makes a lot of sense considering the stat line that we were able to see in the run defense by the Giants. We saw a number of tackles for losses. The number, I believe, was five by this defense in stopping the run. But in addition to that, they were able to keep them under 79 rushing yards. And that is against a team with two very talented running backs that, are, that use them effectively in using the run to set up the pass. So overall, great day by the run, the run defense in slowing them down.
0: Yeah, that was the one thing that really stood out in a a positive way from the Giants defense. And I will say that's one thing Leonard Williams has definitely shown he excels at is using his quickness to get through the line of scrimmage and make plays in the running game. And when you have somebody like Leonard Williams and then Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, BJ Hill, That is a stout defensive front that is going to be tough to run against. Once again, we saw, this is the second week in a row, we saw the Giants play the off-tackle runs very well, for the most part. They showed really solid gap discipline. They did a good job setting a firm edge and just running those plays right to the sidelines. And again, for the most part and for most of the game, giving the Packers running backs just nowhere to go. The final part, the Packers' final actual drive, we did see the run defense start to break down. Jamal Williams started to kind of run behind his pads and pick up yards after the con- after contact. But for the most part, the run defense should be counted as a positive for the Giants.
1: I, I think the goal for James Betcher when he was planning this game and this game plan was to eliminate the run game and and try to force Aaron Rodgers to do everything. And it was kind of working. It it was kind of forcing the Packers into these third and longs. And I was assuming that they were going to get off the field, but because Aaron Rodgers is such an amazing quarterback and he's been in the league so long and he thrives on performing under pressure with guys coming at him, being able to escape the pocket, finding a receiver, because he does all that so well he was able to convert on these third and five or longer. So not much of a surprise to me that they weren't able to stop Aaron Rodgers considering the disparity in talent, but I think a huge shout-out does have to go to the run defense and the defensive line in not allowing the Packers to run the ball effectively, which they've done consistently this year. They, They contained off the edges very, very well, did not allow any breaking of contain, so they looked very, very good.
0: One thing before we move on to the next part. I do want to say it, Giants were able to do that without stacking the box. Aaron Jones only saw 9% of his runs. This is per uh, NFL Next Gen stats. Only 9% of his runs were against an eight-man box, and the Giants didn't have a single eight-man box against Jamal Williams. They, for the most part, were able to stop the run with seven or six man boxes kudos to the defensive front there at least in that regard
1: yeah being able to play that stoutly against the run just shows a commitment to stopping it when you don't have to stack the box but also it makes things kind of questionable because if you're not stacking the box that means that you're probably using those guys in pass coverage so it it's a bit mind-boggling that they gave up as many first downs and yards and, and passing touchdowns as they did first negative though that we have and frankly this is one that a little bit irked me a bit, and I'm sure it did to you as well, Chris. Um, and we all saw Janoris Jenkins. It was circulating news that he was running his mouth about not traveling with the best receiver. He was talking negatively about James Betcher. And, and while I agree that James Betcher has proven he is not the best defensive coordinator, I, I do not agree whatsoever with Janoris Jenkins saying that he should be traveling with the best receiver. And the the way that I'm just looking at this is that we've seen Janoris Jenkins play against the best receivers, and we've seen him get burnt in the past two seasons, give up huge games to top-level receivers. So what makes him qualified to now all of a sudden be the guy that's traveling and following those guys on every single play? He's fine where he is on the left side of the defense. Stick there. And the other thing that I just want to, I I think that some people might not be considering in this, is that this defense has so many young defensive backs and players on it, why the heck would you overcomplicate things with having changing assignments and having to move people around when they can barely have consistency in getting the right play call and being in the right position? I'm sure James Betcher is doing that to keep things as simple as possible, not because he doesn't think you're good enough, but you clearly, Janoris Jenkins, are not good enough to be following the best receiver.
0: No, right now he is the Giants' best cornerback and probably their best secondary player, but he is not on Patrick Peterson's level or some of the other guys who are able to match up on the number one receiver, especially if a team has a true number one receiver like Devontae Adams, guys of that caliber, and give their defense a reasonable chance of taking them out of the game. And what you brought up with trying to keep the defense as simple as possible, that right now should be James Betcher's primary goal. Because we have seen enough just complete miscommunications. We saw one, I believe it was on the Packers final touchdown, where the Giants had twelve men on the field. Nobody looked sure like they had a clue where to line up, if their hands were gonna be on hands were gonna be on the turf, if they were standing up, if they were a linebacker in the secondary on the defensive line. Nobody looked like they had a clue what was going on. And the Packers just snapped the ball and threw the touchdown. So keeping things simple, I think that's a kind of a big reason why the Giants don't blitz all that often than the fact they've been really struggling to cover behind their blitzes. I understand veteran players, guys who have won, being frustrated. This is, I think this is something where Jenkins is probably better off keeping it to himself, but I suppose at least we didn't hear him screaming in the locker room like the Cowboys did with Michael Bennett.
1: Yeah, I, I don't blame Janoris Jenkins for being frustrated. I just don't think he is all that talented, and he is a top-level corner to be considering himself to be a guy that has to be following the number one receiver on the opposing team. I I hope that James Betcher, the reason why that he's keeping him there is just to try and keep things simple for these young guys. It would make the most sense, and I just think that's a little bit selfish to be saying things like that when you have a group of, of young players that are trying to learn. Instead, why don't you be a leader... And try and help those guys get better. Make sure they're in the right spot instead of worrying about where you want to be on the field. That's my two cents and the you know my rant on the Janoris Jenkins uh, comments after the game. But back to the tape and the, and the things that are very important is we noticed a lot of the Giants secondary get getting beat in zone up the middle. A lot of these plays that the, the Packers were able to pick up a ton of yards were up the middle, and it, it's things that have been inconsistently but also consistently coming in game by game, not every single game, that they allow a lot of passing yards up the middle of the up the of the defense. And they actually ended up giving up two touchdowns that were up the middle of the field. So things like that just need to cannot be happening when it continually ends up killing you on defense.
0: Yeah, and it it's kind of distressing really that a few of them have come at the hands of Antoine Bethea. The first touchdown, the long one to Alan Lazard, that one stand, stood out to me in particular. That was not a complicated route by Lazard. He did It was a one cut. It was not a double move or an intricate passing concept designed to get a receiver lost in coverage. Bethea had Lazard in coverage. I believe the Giants were playing a cover four on that run or on that play, Lazard was in Bethea's zone. He had him. All he does is run a post route cutting in slightly and Bethea flips his hips the complete opposite direction and acts like he's going to run the corner route. And then at that point there was just absolutely no way he was going to get back around in time to defend the pass. There were other times where they had a holding penalty against him, extending a Packers drive, and that was just distressing to see from a guy who's supposed to be the long tenured veteran in the secondary. On the other hand, I I did like what I was able to see from Julian Love.
1: Yeah, Love did look good, and I, I saw him playing very very well, which we spoke about in the quick take show. And, you know, at times it seems like you're talking about Bethay and his mistakes. I, I think that it's apparent at times that the that the players on the field are not properly executing in zone or they're not in the right position, specifically on that, that touchdown to Lazard. But in addition to that, I, I just don't understand why the Giants continually use zone when it's clearly not working for them. And also it's very predictable. In any third down situation, I feel like they always come out in zone. If it's third and seven and longer they come out and zone in zone and the middle of the field is wide open there's almost nobody there in the middle of the field to get even a hand on the ball or contest a receiver from making a catch so i don't understand why betcher isn't making decisions to change things up if if the if the one concept the overall basic concept of running zone is not consistently working you need to switch things up from time to time to at least make things unpredictable. It hasn't worked most of the season. I don't understand why it suddenly would start working now against a team that has a very, very good quarterback.
0: Yeah, a definition of insanity right there. I have no clue either. And we saw the Giants biting hard on play action. Basically, any time the Packers would get into a third and long, which was most of their third downs, which was one thing the Giants did well, but then they would just run a play-action rollout, and there would always be a receiver. Whether it was Devontae Adams, Geronimo Allison, a tight end, somebody would be wide open, with about, I don't know, three yards of separation between them and the closest defensive back as basically the Giants' entire secondary kind of just stood around in zone looking at each other. It's something that probably should have gotten addressed and changed over the bye week. With four games left, I'm not sure we should expect any dramatic changes from here on out.
1: No, there won't be any changes in the scheme or any dramatic coaches uh, changes with the coaches unless we do see the Giants choose to move on from a number of the players— sorry, the a number of the people in the coaching staff. We'll have to see what happens at the end of the season, but the fundamental thing here is that the best defensive coordinators— in the league thrive on being unpredictable and creating confusion and changing up looks and not showing the same thing every single play. So Giants have to find a way to do that. And if it's not retaining James Betcher, then so be it. Move on from him and and take that next step and bring in somebody who is going to do a better job of utilizing the talents on the field. Final thing that we have Final negative is that the Giants were able to get pressure and were able to close down the pocket, but they were not quick enough to capitalize and get any sacks or any serious quarterback hits to disrupt Aaron Rodgers.
0: Yeah, the Giants were only credited with two quarterback hits. We did see them in the backfield, Leonard Williams, Lorenzo Carter, Marcus Golden. They were in the backfield a fair bit, but this also ties in with their struggles in coverage with... Aaron Rodgers' ability to find open receivers, that quick release of his, the Giants just didn't have the quickness, the ability to finish on those rushes. And that that's kind of been either the first or second half of the story with their defense all season long.
1: I would argue that they had a pretty good day against a, a strong offensive line, and I'm pretty sure Brian Balaga played in this game. So they, they yeah, they didn't have the expected un experienced player in there so they looked good creating pressure it's just you got to hit home at some point and maybe the way that they're going to do that is bringing in and drafting Chase Young you cap off a a team of big stout defensive tackles and having an elite pass rusher to do it we'll have to see what happens we have a long offseason coming ahead of us as this second overall pick continues to be the the clear lock for the Giants as all these other bad teams continue to lose around them last thing that we're going to talk about as we promised as we love to discuss special teams here on the Chris and Joe show, is Aldrich Rosas going two for two, looking a little bit more comfortable, not see, seeming as off kiltered because Zach Diossi was not in the game. Colin Holba, who was signed to the practice squad, was snapping in today's or yesterday's game, rather. And I would argue he had a decent game. He had a better performance than we saw from Dyassi. He was not hundred percent clean. The first one he snapped was a little bit was actually pretty high, um, was not a, an overly clean operation. But the laces were out. It was easy to get down. Stuff like that is just going to continue to to prove that Rosas needs to be the guy going forward. They need to retain him. Doing kicker workouts and trying to bring new guys in is not the answer. When you have one of the most talented kickers in the NFL, you got to do whatever you can to make things com- comfortable for him, not for the other guys in the special teams unit.
0: I thought the Giants showed some, uh, I would say, tentativeness to put Rosas on the field, especially in the first half, when they repeatedly went for fourth downs in circumstances where maybe last year or earlier this year, they probably would have run Rosas out on the field and let him make the 45, 50-yard attempt. But I think between the conditions, the elements going on, and new long snapper Rosas having been the struggles he has had the past few games. I thought they were a lot more aggressive on fourth down than they had been previously. It obviously worked out, especially in the first half. And there are plenty of arguments to be made for teams being more aggressive on fourth down. But I, all in all, I did like the execution on the For the field goal unit and the kicking team, especially considering the footing and all of that couldn't have been great.
1: Execution does have to be at the highest possible level when you are playing in conditions like that. So it was good to see that things were a little bit cleaner. It's understandable if the snaps aren't going to be perfect because the ball is wet. As long as it was able to get down, the laces were out, and it was a clean operation that's gonna be it from us folks thank you for tuning in as always be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us and also follow us on twitter at joe de you can follow me it's spelled d-e-l-e-o-n-e follow chris at raptor m-k-i-i and then lastly follow us big blue view on any social media platform twitter and instagram at big blue view have a wonderful rest of your day folks